Chris, welcome yep. back. Thank you. I'm not going to pronounce your, la your last name this time. Just, That's all right. Just Chris. Uh, it'll be on the screen. <laughs> this is Leadership Conversations, Dr. Clark and Chris. Um, pastoring people through a passage. I, I am going to chew on this all weekend now. I love, I love how you said that. Um, and then the context of that statement that, you, you know, from the previous episode, you know, we were talking about um, the, for, the quote format of preaching, connecting with people. And this leads to kind of this conversation now, planting multiple smaller churches. Man, you know, <clears throat> in New England, the reality of, of, like you said, churches will not at one average be bigger than 150. You know, I have found that to be so attractive and so cool in its own right because as you indicated making that connection that personalized connection which is a new england thing mm -hmm. yeah. that's how you do it right but then for the ambitious planter you're giving keys and tools to how to think bigger and that is if you envision something bigger plant multiple smaller congregations mm -hmm. And, you know, my wife and I didn't come in thinking, oh, we're going to have like 20 multiple small locations. <laughs> it just so happened that we, yep. being led by God to start to do that because of necessity of the experience we had, not because it was a strategy. And right now, we're on the campus of our third small intimate congregation. Um, and it is, it's sweet. You know, every, every congregation has their own culture. Every, they have their own way of fellowshipping and connecting, and it's cool, man. It's it's just so. Talk to me about what what does that look like to plant multiple small churches, and how it can work in the New England context. Well, I think we to plant multiple small churches. There, I mean, let's let's be honest. God God owns the cattle on every hill. True. He has all the money in the world. True. But in the reality of church planting world, um, there's never enough money. <laughs> even, also even, true, especially yes. in New England. <laughs> and so even being part of the North American Mission Board and Southern Baptist uh, Convention, where, you know, we're the largest Protestant denomination in the country, uh, I'm sure, you know, has the most money of any denomination. Uh, there's just never enough. There's never enough to go around. And so, um, you know, we... I think if you go into a community and you say, I'm, my target is to reach this community, like, you know, let's just, I'll take Weathersfield because it's close and I know what the best. So there's 26,000 people, maybe 12 to 1,400 people go in town to an evangelical church. And I don't know how many people leave town to go to other churches or how many people in that 12 to 1,400 come into Weathersfield. Right. I don't know. <clears throat> but if you went into a community like that and you said, you know what, our strategy is going to be to reach people groups within Weathersfield because we believe God's called us to Weathersfield, then you don't need a, whatever it costs to start the, the typical church plant. Like if, the, if you use the founding pastor model mm -hmm. and you're going to do, you're going to come in, you're going to create your core team, you're going to have a big launch, you're going to do all the stuff that you, you know, we kind of all dream about when we think of the traditional church plant. Oh, yeah. You know, you're, you're in for... What in the first five years? Uh, I'm guessing a couple of hundred thousand dollar investment, maybe per church. You know, and so if you think about well, we're going to reach Weathersfield and we're going to reach it with 
five church plants, for example, which you wouldn't reach at all, obviously, because every church would have to be a mega church. <laughs> but if you're going to go in and you're going to do that, and this is what we're going to target, or even if you're going to target one in one town, one in the next town, one in the next town, one in the next town, I think if your approach is you're going to do that, you can really come in with a much smaller budget, yeah. knowing that you're all going to work together. And, you know, I, I, I think in the context of, of thinking small churches, say, for example, in, again, just we'll just stay with Weathersfield. So you have, if you have one church, and say one church takes off, and so that church goes, grows to 500, 600, 700 people, that one church is still going to have, you know, one key leader, kind of one vision. It's going to reach one, mostly it's going to reach one demographic, and it's going to take them how many years to ramp up and to re reach that one group. If you come in and say, no, we're going to reach this community, and we recognize this community has, you know, a, a very wealthy portion, it has a working class portion, it has, you know, it, and you kind of look at, you do all of your, your mission work, you mm -hmm. know, kind of all your demographic work and your psychographic work, you kind of look at the community. You say, well, five churches of, say, 100 each can each have a different vision, a different leader, and they can reach into that community in so many different ways and have such a greater impact yes. than one leader with one church. And I'm, I'm not criticizing the bigger church because we need that too. Yes, we do. I'm thinking if we, if we blend it together, I think a lot of times we, we have to think, we just have to think out of the box. Right. You know, I mean, I think about the way Jesus ministered to people and he, he was always looking at people and in, in, in pushing them to become all they could be in Christ. But he, he wasn't really, I mean, he, he came and, and he had his mission and he had his purpose. But when he interacts with people, you always see like that very personal, you know, and I think if you, again, if you have five, five churches of 100 mm. can do so much more and have such a greater impact than one church of 500. And the, the planter who has the grandiose vision of having a megachurch, if you're strategic enough, yeah. five times 100 is 500. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that still meets the... Oh, yeah. The need, if that's what you feel called to do and you feel led to do, you can bring those groups together periodically just to, to worship. Do a celebration. And, yes. Yeah, do a, do a quarterly celebration at a high school or, <laughs> you know, and have everybody get together. And so yeah. I think, you know, some of the churches in the area that are larger, you know, that can't get a whole congregation, you know, because there aren't that many churches that have a big building right. where they can have one service. Right. So the larger churches have multiple services. Well, what do you do to get the whole church together to have one big celebration. Right. You know, you have to rent a facility somewhere and go off-site, and so it's no different with the... And then if you come in and you say, well, we're going to do multiple small churches, well, why not? I mean, some of the most meaningful sermon preparation times I've had has been like a group where everybody comes to the table from their different backgrounds, and we're, you know, this guy has this idea, he has this idea, I have this idea, and you kind of meld it together, and, you know, everyone could... Uh, essentially, I suppose you could all write one sermon and just share it, but you could each write your own, but you're getting the information from everybody. So I call that a right. So your prep I, time goes down. I've never uh, prepped a sermon in that way, um, but I've written grants in what we call writing sessions. Yeah. And the best ideas kind of bubble to the top. So you're saying, oh, yeah. you know, there's there's a strategy that uh, group writing of sermons among pastors, mm -hmm. uh, both staff pastors and lead pastors can get 
cut down prep time, which I agree with. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's no different in prepping for this podcast. You prep okay. some, I prep some, we bring it together and then create this third thing right. that we're having, that right? follow what we started. With. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and yeah. just like God, he goes any direction he wants, right? And 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 you get to hit on different things you probably yeah. didn't consider in, if you just developed oh, yeah. it on your own. Yeah. I remember the very first time I did it, I, I was writing a sermon with a pastor, very different denomination yeah. than mine. And so he came with, you know, we were old school. We came with books that we had made all our notes in and brought it together. And I hadn't heard of anybody that he was using for resources. Yeah. And he didn't, he knew of some of the guys because he had been in ministry a long time, but he hadn't read any of them. And when we brought, we were preaching together. We decided we were going to preach the, the, um, the Lord's Prayer together. And so I said, you know, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll do it the same passage each week together and we'll, we'll prepare. So we met at a library and, we sat down, and it was amazing to me because it opened my eyes to things about the Lord's Prayer I had never thought about before because mm-hmm. he just brought different guys from different backgrounds than I had thought about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's in some ways, it's a little chink in your armor of pride <laughs> that somebody else could do it better than you. Yeah. But it was just different, and I, I never listened to his final sermons, and he never listened to mine that I know of. But together, I think we produced a good sermon series together because we, we sharpened each other as we went through it. And, and I didn't do a lot of prep on my own beyond our time together. I just made a lot of notes, and then I just wrote it, you know, kind of put it together in, in something I could preach from. So it actually reduced my time. Yeah. But it multiplied. I still look back at that very first one that I did it that way with fondness and think, I want to do that again someday. Yeah. You know, I think if for those watching, they should really check out the podcast I did with uh, Pastor Gary Knighton about preach preaching basics. Um, and you just gave me an idea uh, or something I'm going to try out for um, Easter. You know, um, so stay tuned for for that. So, Chris, um, why are more pl- uh, church planters needed in New England? Well, why why is your job, your day job now, important uh, as a part of the NAM? Uh, network and the UBCNE. We have uh, so in Connecticut there are 3.6 million people, and so the best statistic that I can come up with um, is that about 400,000 people out of 3.6 million go to church on Sunday, typically. And so that's with a place like Connecticut that's you know been around a long time, and there's a lot of churches. That's a spidge over 10 percent. Yeah, it's yeah. not much. Yeah. And so uh, it's hard for the churches that have existed for a long time to have kind of a fresh vision. And it can be done, that kind of revitalizing themselves and reaching out. But it, it is actually much easier if we just start a new church with somebody who, you know, has a passion and a heart and a desire. And, you know, retaking an existing church and then trying to revitalize it is, I think, something we have to focus on, mm-hmm. but it's a long haul. Um, Tom Rayner from uh, Lifeway says that it's about a 10-year process from start to f- where you feel like you've taken that church where it needs to be. To revitalize, to revitalize an, an existing, existing church. church. Huh. And so I'm, I'm not sure revitalize, replant, it kind of blends those two together. Um, but a church plant, hopefully, in two or three years, you can get up and running. Yeah, wow. You know, yeah. and you're not coming with and this is, again, not a criticism, but with the baggage of, well, we always did it this way. Right. This is the way it's supposed to be done. Right. You have to, you know, and all of those things. And, you know, you you can just start fresh 
with the vision God's given you and get started. And so if we're going to reach into communities, you know, as much as it's hard in New England and people are suspicious of new things, still I think one of the best ways to do that is it's really going to be a combination of revitalizing. That takes a very specific person with a specific calling and starting new churches because we have, you know, 3.2 million people to reach with the gospel. So there's a lot of people. And a lot of the churches, you know, a lot of the people in Connecticut especially, you know, we have the cities, obviously. We've got Bridgeport and Greenwich and, you know, New Haven and Stanford and Hartford. But a lot of the people live in these smaller communities. Yes. You know, we've got uh, great churches that are growing and making a difference in smaller communities. But, you know, they're going to reach that small community. Someone's not going to commute from Hartford to Putnam or to Griswold or to New Milford. And so we need multiple small churches in those regions because it's not easy to get from here to those places. Right. So people aren't going to drive, you know, if someone's going to drive 10 minutes to church, that's probably typical. 20 minutes, they're pretty committed. They're going to drive a half hour to church. That's a super committed person <laughs> each way, you know, to give that extra. Yeah. We don't like to do that for work. <laughs> oh, in Connecticut, you know, we don't want to do that. And you know, they say Connecticut, everything's ab- about an hour away. <laughs> Highway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So, you know, that's that's interesting dynamic. So what is NAM mm-hmm. and why should planters consider partnering with NAM when following their God-given call to plant a church? Uh, NAM stands for the North American Mission Board. And so it's really the church... Primarily, it's focused. It has multiple different things that it does, but what it focuses on, I think, most and best, is uh, church planting mm. across America. Mm. Um, we also do disaster relief and evangelism yeah. and other things, but yep. um, you know, reaching the United States through church planting is what what we focus on. And so, why I think it's important, I can tell you from experience. So when we started our church with this little core group of people. Our only connection was with people 600 miles away. We had no one out, no, we had no one here. Yeah. And so doing it alone without any help uh, is incredibly hard. Uh, you already feel isolated because you're, you know, you're starting a church. So you know, people don't know what that is. It's you know, it's it's difficult. So being a part of an organization, and I think the North American Mission Board is unique just because it is so large. But what it provides is um, relationships. You know, we've got probably the strongest network of church planters here. You know, and we only we have not only just the North American Mission Board, which is a national organization, but we've got uh, the Baptist Convention of New England, which is also 100% committed to church planting as well and resourcing church planters. Um, and so I think an organization going or coming to New England, planting a church by yourself um, is really a, a recipe for a lot of heartache. It is. Church planting is hard. Yeah. And so anything you can do to help yourself be in the best position to navigate through that difficulty that you know you're going to face, all the difficulties, being part of an organization like the North American Mission Board or the Baptist Convention of New England, you know, it's going to provide not just money, which is what everyone kind of thinks, oh, they'll provide money. Um, we provide we do provide resources, but, you know, there's the training, there's the fellowship and the relationship with other planters. There's that sense that you're part of something that's much bigger that God's doing that, that's intangible. 
you know, just say, yeah, I'm, I'm part of this organization, and, and I have people that I can call. I have people that, that will help me that are here. They're not, like in my case, it was 600 miles away. So when I was in crisis, you know, they would say, well, let's see if we can get a flight out in a couple weeks, and we'll come see you. <laughs> so for two weeks, you languish, wondering, you know, am I going to survive this? And being part of a larger organization here means, you know, in an hour, like in my case, is the catalyst. So I spend time with church planters. You know, you can call me anytime or text me anytime or, you know, we could meet up the same day. Right. And we can talk it through. And, uh, and so we've got resources for churches, for existing churches, plants. You know, there's, there's just a lot there and a lot available. Yeah, I mean, NAM's been a friend, a partner, a platform, yeah. um, network that has helped me. Um, and other planners who who otherwise are coming here with absolutely nothing. Right. And, um, you know, the calling, you know what it's like, and I never thought about in, in these terms, um, when Jesus sent out his disciples two by two and told them to take no purse, you know, no cloak, no nothing, you know, just go share the gospel. And, you know, wherever you find peace, you stay. You know, from there, you'll get the resourcing you need. If there's no peace, shake the dust off your feet and keep it moving. For many planters, we've found Nam, the BCNE, Terry, David, you, to be that place of peace. Resources beyond financial that has made the, 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 the faith journey worth it. And... Thank you. You know, I think um, as the Lord continues to lead us to plant more, I mean, I see NAM and BCNE as a strategic partner for many, many reasons. Um, but for planters who who are moving into New England and need a safe place with a low barrier of entry, not to say that, you know, they won't have to go through the process of ensuring their commitment, but you know, if, if you want a place where you're going to be welcomed, loved on, not given a runaround, um, Nam's that place. For me, you know, before you took over this role, it was Terry. You know, Terry, in the love he showed, man, and, and that that's how he's known. Yeah. And even as the executive director of BCE, I mean, he's still known as that. And, yeah. and that, that person... And, and having that baton passed down to you, it's a continuation of how I was welcomed in a positive way to New England. So I feel safe, comfortable, and secure in saying, you know, anybody moving into the area needs to see you because they'll find what they need or at least point it into a direction that can help their, them plant their church. Uh, you know, uh, with the support that's necessary. Anything, is there a final thought that you have you want to share before we conclude our session together? I, I would, and it just comes out of what you were just saying, you know, and thinking about coming out here and planting a church. Um, one of the things, as, as planters, we all have, um, we, we have a vision, we have kind of a, uh, this idealism that comes with what the church planting life is going to be, and we know there'll be struggles, but we haven't experienced them if it's the first church. Um, one of the things I think that being a part of a bigger organization like the North American Mission Board, what's really helpful, as much as it's 
a difficult process at times to go through the assessment that we have everybody go through. I think having the, the way we're doing assessment where um, up front we have a kind of a personal interview just to kind of see, especially someone we don't know and, and, and get to know them better, and then take planters through a more detailed assessment as much as it's difficult and we all kind of look at it and think, oh, it's a pain in the neck, it's too long, it's all this. The process is good because you get to know yourself and the people that you'll be working with are getting to know you. Yeah. And so you can work better together and the process can help point out maybe some, some blind spots that sure. we all have but we don't see, sure. obviously. Sure. And so it's a helpful process and I think, you know, coming out here realizing you don't want to do it alone. Right. It may sound romantic, but you don't want to do it alone. Right. <laughs> and so Jesus um, didn't. Jesus didn't do it alone. Yeah. yeah. It's true. You know. And so uh, I think that that's probably the thing to me, you know, and you know, the other thing is to something we've talked about in our church planner network is, you know, being sure that we're taking care of our ourselves, you know, as planters, not just physically, but spiritually. Yes. You know. Making sure we're sharpening our minds because sometimes you come out thinking, "Well, I know what I need to do," <laughs> but you got to keep reading. You got to keep sharpening yourself. Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, and keeping tabs on our relationships. You know, making sure we have relationships with other people who understand. You know, one of the things that comes out in the CPN, which I appreciate, is one of the guys had said this multiple times. He said, "This is the only place I can come as a church planter where I don't have where I don't have to explain myself." <laughs> He said, everybody here, every one of you knows exactly what this feels like. So I can just say it. <laughs> and so, um, you know, having those relationships and then, you know, make sure you're nurturing your relationship with your spouse and, you know, with your kids. So uh, just just kind of watching out for yourself. Uh, that's really important as well. So, and, you know, we could go on for an hour, but yeah. that's probably it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Good. Thank you for having me.